welcome to The Green Room Talks, a podcast about mental health in the music industry. I'm really excited about this episode. We talk about how sometimes you can be at the lowest point in your life, even when you're experiencing the most success. Hey guys, how are you? Hello, hello. Oh. Welcome to The Green Room. <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's funny, I was just saying this before we started, but like, this is the first, um, episode that I've done back on Zoom in the last two months. So it should be fun. I actually like Zoom. At the end of the day, I do like Zoom. <laughs> um, green Room. I'm curious why you, what made you call it the Green Room? Um, well, okay. So basically like I, sorry, this, the, the do not disturb things not working. Um, I basically, me and Irene, who is also part of the Green Room, um, basically started the idea about two years ago we were just having lunch and she was like oh she was like oh basically um it would be cool to have something to be able to talk about you know the artist's journey in terms of like songwriting process and how it relates to therapy and I forget why we started talking about it but it was just like I feel like it always comes up for me you know what I'm saying because I you know I struggle a lot with a bunch of things to do with mental health whether it be anxiety or you know I went through bullying as a kid eating disorder like being objectified as a woman I, I just think that we were talking about these things and it the more I thought about it I was like all the songs that I write are you know usually the best songs are usually coming from something very you know from from a place it doesn't even have to be good or bad it just can be something that's very like real you know what I mean so and I think the reason why I wanted to do this with Sovin today is because we had a conversation not too long ago where I haven't spoken to him in so long and we ended up talking for two hours about like life and everything and all this stuff and to me it's like I love that stuff because I I got off the phone with Sovin being like wow I feel so inspired because I love to feel like you know, you're not the only one going through things, you know, and it doesn't always have to be like, it doesn't have to be me calling my friend to say, oh, my life is crumbling. It could be a great thing, but it just means that like, you feel more human and connected to people. And that makes me want to go write a song maybe. you know what I mean? So that was, and obviously being the green room, the backstage, you know, sort of feel of how a song is written is basically why I wanted, why I wanted to start it. So and just something so, so loose. Like it doesn't have to be, this is the whole point of it. It doesn't have to be so planned out. It's just like a, you know, a real conversation. So yeah. And just turned into something now. I, we have like 25 episodes and, um, and yeah, it's just like talking to friends about their journeys and stuff. It's just been a really like kind of cathartic experience to be honest. So yeah. Thank you for coming. That's awesome. Thank you for being here. That's so, so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I, mean, I sorry, just to comment on our conversation because I thought I felt the same way because it was actually one of the first times other than my really close circle that I talked to someone about. I don't know, it was probably just that night. I was walking, <laughs> I was walking around the streets of Stockholm late at night and you called and we were, you know, and I think, you know, it wasn't until I went through a really bad depression that I understood that a lot of people have gone through. I never like talked about it with people. Um, and when I was going through it, I was, all my energy was to like hide it, you know, um, like every time I would pull into the studio, cause it was, we, we were like on fire at the time, you know, me and my crew, like with everything we were doing, I would go to the studio and I would just pull up and I'd pretend that I'm on a phone call and I would see one of the other guys walk into the studio because I was just preparing myself mentally to walk in because I was so, I was feeling so bad, you know, 
Um, and I was just preparing myself to put the mask on to go in and feel, pretend I'm feeling good and I want to do this and, and all that kind of stuff. Because I didn't realize that other people had sort of gone through it. It was, our conversation was really great because it, it made me feel like, oh yeah, okay. It's okay, I felt safe. Like it's okay to talk to people about it. Well, it feels too, thanks for sharing that too because a lot of people don't share that especially in our industry. Nobody wants to seem like they're not ready to show up or, you know, they, they can't, it's a show up thing. And, um, you know, as a coach who also has been in this industry for 30 years, um, but especially once I started coaching and I started coaching a lot of artists um, and managers and everyone else in this industry, depression and anxiety aren't rare. Like, they're not like some people have it. It seems to be a really predominant kind of um, affliction that humans go through. I've, I've really just found it's not rare. And, yeah. and it's not just because people are coming to me, you know, in that place. It's a, um, when you become someone and, I, and everyone on here might be this type of person where you ask people, not just how are you doing, but like, how are you doing? Like, how's your emotional state been? When you get a real answer, you realize, it's extremely common. And um, one of my coaches the other day said something that really struck me. She was crying because she had just come out of an eight month depression. And she was crying because she felt like, you know, this is a real disease. It's pummeling. She's like, I feel like I like basically went through chemotherapy and, you know, like a really intense disease. And with other diseases, people kind of root for you and they cheer for you. And if you beat the disease, they ring a bell or they have something celebratory as they should. But with the disease of depression, there isn't usually like a trophy at the end of it where everyone's like congratulating you for getting through a really major disease because sometimes those bouts are long. And that really struck me. I thought about that all week after she said that last week um, and made yeah, me true. realize we should congratulate people around us when they do get through it. Yeah. No, it's just true. It's, I didn't even think about it like that. Cause we just, in my family, we just went through a very serious sort of illness that I, and in that process, which affected, you know, my whole home life and, you know, and made me have to sort of stop everything for the last six months. But like, well, during this like time though, I always remember like, Oh, I always think everything happens for a reason. So to me, it's like, wow, I went through that, those two years of feeling, of being really depressed. And it got, re I mean, it got really dark. I mean, I was planning my exit, you know, it was, it got that dark, you know. And I luckily scared myself with how far I took it. Financial planning to make things simpler for my family. I mean, I mean it was like, it was like that. And nobody knew, you know. And what, what I've realized now looking back, because that feels like another person, I realize I wear it like a badge of honor though, because it, it's also going through that taught me to go into therapy to sort of to see the light. It gave me the tools to handle the sort of serious family illness that, you know, we just went through, you know, to be a better father and to be more present and all these things and to, to uh, be grateful and, and all those kind of things, you know, because when you're going through it, especially if you have success and I think artists probably have, this as well, if they're going through it, is like, you all, for me at least, it was like, I, I felt even shittier because I was like, what a shitty person I am. I, everything is going amazing in my career. Like, I've got these beautiful kids and I was dream girl wife and everything's going amazing. Like, what, what like an 
unappreciative douchebag would be depressed with this kind of life. You know what I mean? You would that, and that made me go even darker into a hole. You know, because um, so many people, when you're in a certain position, so many people are like, dude, it's amazing, everything's great. You know, like congrats everywhere you go, congrats everyone you talk to. You know, so you feel even worse for feeling bad. Right. There's a lot of shame around that. Yeah. And, you know, and guilt. A lot of guilt. Oh, Did you yeah. realize that you're in particularly special place compared to where you could be or where others are and you wonder why you're feeling the way you are yeah. given the success you're having yeah it was crazy and I had to like stop everything I had to like really look at why I was should so desperately chasing that success and what I expected you know what I mean and, and, it, and it and it revealed a lot you know because I think as a society we have to also redefine what success is especially in America, you know, it's a, it's a, we define success as this like monetary thing, this like financial gain or fame gain or whatever. And I've realized, come to realize it's not that. I always, you know, cause I was raised by immigrant, you know, parents who left Uganda during Idi Amin. And, you know, I was raised by like my parents who lovely people, but you know, they're products of how they were raised, but I was raised to only, and my value was only based on what other people outside my world think of me. Like in the Indian community, when I grew up, it was like, you know, we were sort of conditioned, you know, or at least I was, I, I only felt I got my mother's love if other Indian people told my mother that I was doing well. You know what I mean? So it became like this thing, like the success was that for me, it was like this validation that, oh, you're a good person. If you're successful, you're a good person, you know, and you're, you have value in this world. And I got to the point where like, if, you know, if a song didn't work, like I remember I did this like Charlie's Angel soundtrack, it didn't go well. I felt like, a, like, why do my kids love me? I'm a horrible human being. I let everybody down. Like it, it got, you know, and those kind of things happen because you, we start, you know, I mean, I went to the extreme, but the, you start like your self-worth and your achievements can sometimes like get in, entwined a little too much. I mean, that's what happened to me, you know? I mean, that's- that's 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 exactly what our conversation was when I called you and thank you by the way for saying all this because honestly coming from you somebody who is so highly regarded in this industry like people really look up to you you know you've done incredible things and I think when I mean I've known you for a really long time you know mm -hmm. I've been you know I'm, I'm grateful to have known you from you know close to what the beginning looked like right so like obviously I've seen you go through the journey but I didn't know that you went through this so when I called you as my friend, even, you know, all the time that has passed and what I've gone through personally, and then you telling me this was like, oh my God, like that, that really touched me in ways. And actually in a, in a, not in a weird way, but in a, in a real way inspired me to feel like, okay, I can get through this too. And I really, I really felt that that's why I was like, okay, coming from you and people watching this to know that somebody on your level that has achieved what you achieved and continuing to achieve stuff can feel that way. I think what's what more human can you feel you know what I mean like that's 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 a pretty brave thing to be able to talk about that and also just be able to you know just admit that listen even though you can have these successes and things that we as kids think will solve all our problems yeah don't you know what I yeah, mean the problems, are still, there. <laughs> the problems are still there you know? and here's the thing it's not to say that like I would tell a kid today like hey you know this is not all what it's chopped up to be. It's not like I'm saying like, oh, like all these, like I'm not trying to make it a negative thing. I just think it's good to be realistic. Cause as a kid myself growing up, 
you know, it's like, if you don't look like this, if you don't sound like all the things, then you're not, you don't matter. You're not good enough. But guess what? Like you are because the flaws make you good. And like what you said, Sovereign, about how like everything's meant to be and all that stuff. That's all I think about. Like, I think all this stuff is so, it plays such a big part on on everything that happens in our lives. I think that the bad stuff equals the good stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. And like, and I wish I, I even tell friends, you know, now when they, you know, when I talk to people, I'm more open to, to friends and, and, you know, friends are still sort of chasing the success. I always now warn them like, it's great. Like success is great. Not it gives you a good life. Your kids will have a good life. All that, I'm not saying it's not, it's great, but it's not going to change how you feel about yourself. It's not going to change how you how you you know well, how you feel inside. And that's where it goes back to success because yeah. you know we are I we are taught wrong. We are yeah. you know we yeah, exactly. well, I and I for example I when I raise my children now you know and I I did it differently and you know I spent a lot of time reading them a lot of times things that were of sort of a Buddhist nature or you know going into things about you know they knew what egos were when they were very young you know and. And how living in ego and making decisions in, in ego can always lead to your expectations being blown and disappointment and then guilt and then shame and then depression and, you know it's like this the whole thing so you know it feels like if we started right out of the gate you know talking about yes it's nice to have creative and financial gain so that we realize what we love doing i.e if you're an artist we have enough money to live and live well, depending on what your idea of living well is. Um, but you know, to me, success is really simple. Are you happy? Do you have joy in your life or do you not? If you are someone who is not happy and doesn't have joy, then in my opinion, you are not enjoying a successful life currently. And a lot of famous folks, and I deal with a lots of them, you know, some of the most famous people in the world, some of the richest people of the world. I think getting famous and getting a lot of money at a very young age is really damaging to the psyche and yeah. extremely damaging to the ego. And you haven't even fully formed as a human. And then now you have this weird reality, you know, putting you into so much anxiety over, you know, it's being a creative that is successful is like winning the lottery. Yeah. Very few people can make money as a creator. So the pressure is enormous. And you get so much pressure before you even use tools. And um, I was wondering when you were talking about being in your kind of deepest depression, because um, a lot of times folks that I, I help with depression and anxiety, I'll say, okay, what's your tool bag? Like, what are you currently throwing at this? And a lot of times it's nothing. It's like, you know, I smoke weed and, you know, I drink, you know, and then that's where you start. Okay, yeah. therapy, number one, for sure. You know, meditation, is number two in my, like even, like, yeah. um, you know, I'm aware of culture where that's not taught, like that's not just a part of your, your daily life, you know? Are you drinking water? Like, are you looking at stimulants? You know, are you looking at what brings you up and brings you down? Even just drinking a shit ton of coffee can affect the dopamines and cortisol and everything in your body that then leads to anxiety. Then you didn't get the work done. Then you start feeling depressed. So it's like, you know, so I'm curious, you know, when you were in your sort of big depression, did you have tools or did you not know tools yet? Or was it too hard to use them at the time? I mean, all I think what might have helped me at least at some point find clarity was I, I started exercising a lot. 
like I started re religiously working out certain and I wouldn't miss it for anything, you know? Um, that I think helped, helped me to a point, but um, I didn't really have any other tools until I, until I sort of scared myself at what I was doing, like what, where my mind was going, you know, and what I was sort of planning, you know, to be totally blunt, you know, and that made me reach out to an artist friend for help who, um, and, and I, and I just said to this person, like, I know you've gone through depression and I've been feeling X, X and X. She was like, that sounds like you're going through depression. She was like, um, please like call my therapist and she'll help you find somebody if it's not her, you know? And then I just went into therapy, like, I think it was like three times a week and then two times a week. And then after about one time a week and then I, you know, I opened up to friends, a couple of friends, you know, um, there was stuff that I didn't tell my wife and still doesn't know because I didn't want to scare her, you know, at the time. Um, and, and yeah, but I learned to understand what I was, I was, why I was feeling what I was feeling. And I learned to understand certain things. And that always, it allows me now to sort of zoom out sometimes and go like, okay, what, why am I feeling this really, you know? Uh. Um, and, and I understood a lot about sort of my upbringing. I was raised in a very, very traditional Indian family. We're culturally doing what I, I became the black sheep of my, my community because I went and decided to go into the music business and not go to college and all that kind of stuff. All those cliches that, you know, you know and the effect that that actually had on me. That was sort of a trauma of being sort of feeling shunned and feeling like, um, yeah, feeling like the black sheep of your, we had, you know, tight knit Indian community or tight knit Indian family. And there was some sort of trauma there, you know, involved in that. And, you know, my parents' trauma from escaping Uganda through the Yameen and, and all that stuff um, carried over to me because of how they raised me, you know. Sure, the family traumas get handed down and then the, the, like subcultures, um, there's so many uh, thoughts in particular on therapy and mental health in different subcultures um, yeah. and even, you know, I, I work, I have in music, I have predominantly worked um, for a long time in um, with black artists and artists from the South. And, you know, we talk about it all the time. And like, you know, my mom thinks I'm crazy because I literally crazy because I mentioned I want to go to um, a therapist. And I grew up in like, you know, small town redneck vibe, Michigan, where I remember my mom was offended and like, infuriated when I told her I was in therapy yeah. like somehow that was embarrassing you know and how dare I tell people our business and the cool thing is I feel like therapy is finally you know having its its rise in our culture like it's so great that that is becoming a thing and people are getting therapists and they're getting coaches and like that is that's a huge step forward as much as there's some things in our in our in particular American culture that are like just revolting and you're just like how are we still here in 2021 you know i.e with racism yeah. one step that has come forward is dealing with mental health and the conversation around it you know and like your situation where you you know it got so bad for you that then it was like i gotta be in therapy three times a week you know like it, you, you know it was so you had to really do like a, a mission it sounds like to get out of it yeah and I mean, one good thing about i guess myself like if I have a goal and a focus, you know, I'm, I stick to it. And I'm lucky. I mean, my dad was an alcoholic.
alcoholic, so I'm lucky I never went down the sort of alcohol. I, I, I went the other way instead of becoming out. I was scared of it. I was scared of alcohol. I didn't have my first drink. I was like 23 years old. And I never had, you know, so I never had, I'm, I'm too afraid of like drugs. I wouldn't even smoke weed. I'm like too afraid of it. I would never do it. You know, so for me, like, I'm lucky I didn't have that. So for me, it was like control. I wanted like self, I was obsessed with self-control and structure in my life. Which is yeah. also the problem. Yeah. <laughs> like when you're a controlling person, I'm, I'm similar. I was, yeah. you know, really afraid of that feeling of not having control, but then it, it also keeps um, emotion in. Yeah, absolutely. Up in your body. Like, I don't know if you guys have read The Body Keeps the Score, but to me, it's like a of fascinating, really important book. You know, all of that stuff. It's to me, it's, it's not hippy dippy, it's science. Like we, we keep it in there, you know, when we're, um, the more controlling we are, the more in pain and the more we kind of keep it all in. Um, yeah. you know, Wait, you that's crazy. I didn't realize that. That's actually very interesting. I didn't, I need to get that book. I didn't, that makes so much sense. So you're saying, it, the less control that you feel like if you let go you're saying that that is good for your anxiety like you that makes that's oh, I, didn't I mean well anxiety <laughs> is a fear of you know not having control and you know that's why like you know so much like you know buddhist toltec you know hindu all great wisdoms you know their big thing is surrender right like don't try to control surrender to what the world there's no way any of us are controlling everything like the yeah. world at large is if an earthquake happens right now i have nothing i can't do anything about it you know if one of you says something to me that hurts my you know like we can't control anything sometimes we can't even control ourselves you know due to hormones you know mood swings chemical you know like we truly have no control over anything um but we can do our best moment to moment, present to present. And the more you give up the control, the more peace you have wow. and the more that you are able to, you know, like I was a very angry person for a long time due to things that happened to me, you know, lots of sexual assaults, never had a dad, you know, like the dad I did have was always drunk. You know, there were all this, these things that led to me being like, I got to get out of here and I'm angry and I'm going to force my way into whatever I need to do. Cause I was so hard and, you know, in control. And it was only when I had my ass kicked so much. And finally I found a more spiritual path, which frankly was my ex-husband who's awesome. And one of my best friends, he was like, you know what? I can't be with you anymore. You're too angry. Like go to this meditation retreat and go to therapy or else I'm not hanging with you anymore. And I was like, I did it for all the wrong reasons. I did it for a guy. I was like, okay, fine you know, and thank God he set me on the path and I never looked back. I mean, I took it hook, line and sinker, you know, within a few months I was like getting colonics and drinking seaweed and doing anything I could to, to chip away at the, you know, stadium size coliseum of marble that was around me, the, the armor. And, you know, so the consistent use of tools and, and um, you know, you mentioned you have a child, you know, you're, you're a father um that's where we can really do our thing you know my son who's 17 and, and a creator was like mom I just want to let you know I'm having I think I have some depression happening and you described it to me and I'm like thanks for telling me here let's talk about what you can do he found magic the the Damien Eccles sort of philosophy and started meditating I give him essential oils that 
help with anxiety, in particular frankincense. So he will do things now the minute he feels anxiety rising up and he will at this young age stop and meditate for 20 minutes he will put oils on he will tell me he will write a song about it he will sit on discord with his friends during you know the pandemic and i listen to them and they're talking about being depressed you know my depression uh, anxiety how i'm feeling about my mom i feel shame around this like boys back in the day never did that that was not how they you know and so it's like we all can just start doing it at home yeah, you know and, and it keeps him from probably ever going to the point where he is so in a you know because i i deal with a lot of people who have like full breakdowns and they and they're not even sure why and they're like i have to cancel my tour i just fired everybody on my team i can't show up to the tv show i'm doing whatever it is you know like it happens all the time and it's been happening for decades and I'm always like, let's figure out a how to get you out of the hole, and and but then now what's the maintenance around it? You yeah. know, what are you going to do every single day? And most people I know um, who have depression and depression stays with you forever. It's it doesn't tend to be something that goes away and then you never have it again. Um, you know, like uh, people close in my family who are very you know struggled with depression for years. There's this thing like a morning routine. Like I wake up. I exercise immediately and that gets all your endorphins going and it helps with your cortisol levels. And it is a huge thing for depression and maybe using essential oils, then writing a morning page to kind of check in with your feelings. Then maybe doing some outreach to people. I know people who are in recovery programs that do that, or you reach out to friends and then meditation for sure. You know, um, if you really need to, you, you can see someone, if you have like an actual chemical, like if you need help, like you need to take something. I'm not a huge lover of um, SSRIs and stuff. Cause I see all the negative effects too. Cause I've kind of lived with it in my household. Um, but also they have saved people's lives when you are so dark, you know, you need to be lifted up. And then there's plant medicine, which I'm a huge believer in. I do, I microdose every three days, you know, so microdosing psilocybin, which is about to hopefully be legal all over the world at some, you know, in the next year or two, that is a game changer for depression and anxiety like complete game changer um, and it's not taking, you know, a pharmaceutical drug. So there's just so, there's so many things, but the point is, is you gotta have a tool bag. Sometimes your tool bag might be this giant chest, like those things you see in a mechanic shop. And every day you pull out a few things to keep yourself from going yeah. into the water. That is crazy yeah. about the dosing. I found a friend of mine gave me. Okay. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to say, a friend of mine gave me a six-minute journal, diary thing, where, yeah, I, do, I would do it every morning, sort of write what I'm grateful for and, and then things like that, and then also in the evening. And he was like, you'd be surprised how amazing how it just sets your day in the right path. And then in the evening, you look at what you wrote before, and I thought that was pretty amazing. That was really, really helpful as well. That's like definitely... Start journaling made a big difference for me. That's a great tool because it's, I call it the morning page, just the morning dump. And I tell people, because people are like, eh, I don't journal, I'm not going to journal. I'm like, don't, you're not journaling. You're not writing your memoirs. Like write one minute, whatever you're feeling, not what you're thinking. By the end of the page, you'll probably be like, oh, I kind of feel this way. You know, like you sort of know where you're at and you just do it every day. And it, you check in with yourself. Most people are so distracted. They get up, 
go to the bathroom, grab their phone, look at their texts, look at email, start engaging, work all day, meet people for dinner, go do, th you know, watch something, read something, go to bed. Not once in the day did they reflect on how they are actually doing. Yeah. You know, in their body, you can feel how you feel in your body. They, there's no checking in. So what you just said um, is, is really key. Yeah, and I, think, I mean, it's also choosing to be less busy. I mean, I have two kids that are young and like understanding like, you know, that thing again about what success is, like realizing like, yeah, it was, I was like killing it in the music business, but I wasn't, I was never mentally present for my kids. I mean, I was working on the second One Direction album in the birthing suite of my first child. Like he was just born and I'm like on emails fixing things, you know, before the guys came to record. Like it was that, I was so ultra focused and I made like the kids and my wife and everyone second. And I realize now how much happier I am, you know, knowing, like making them first, you know, and everything else comes out. I used to schedule everything. I used to schedule their, them around my work rather than the other way. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, luckily I'm in a position now to, you know, to do that, but like, um that was a big thing like my kids in a way were a tool for me and in a sense because it also gave a, a purpose um in a different way you know I was Jenna what's your tool bag yeah yeah so that's what I was going to mention actually it's funny going back to you know starting the green room and stuff what I really found because again Catherine you said that in so many ways, mental health is something that people accept today as a real disease, but in a lot of ways they don't still, there's a lot of shame. I also went through that as a kid, like where there was a lot of shame about going to therapy, which is why I didn't go to therapy. And I'm just, you know, doing all this now, but in relation to like set, like studio sessions and stuff, it's like, I find that if I am going, having a panic attack or I'm like going through it in the, in the way that Sopin was saying that he'd wait outside and just collect himself and go in. Like, I feel like for me, I actually just go in and I will tell them I'm having a panic attack. You know what I mean? Like, and honestly, the way that people accept you more is kind of crazy. Do you know what I mean? Like to be able to, to just tell them that you're going through something makes them be like, Oh, everyone all of a sudden just like relax because they feel less pressure to be like on, you know, this pedestal to be like, I'm so great. I'm so this, this ego. I feel like when you let them know that your guard is down, even though, it may be something that's uncomfortable. Hey, I'm going through an anxiety attack or, you know, something just happened. I feel a strange way. Not only do they drop their guard, but you feel better. So that's a tool for me because I think for a long time, I was so embarrassed when I would go into sessions and I'm just like, oh my God, I have to, I would be shaking like, you know, and it would, and it would make me feel like I wasn't confident about the music part, but it really wasn't that. It's other stuff, you know what I mean? So I think that you, so a lot of times you walk out and you regret not saying something. That's my personal experience. So as a tool bag, I guess I just, for me, I've just learned to be super open, which is why I admire Sovin for being so open and why I loved our, you know, our talk and our talk now, just because I think the more open you are, the more you go on with your day and just feel a little safer. Cause I feel like when I constantly feel like I have to wear like a paperback bag over my head and like, oh, don't look at me. Like, da -da -da, I feel way worse. You know, so I, I, I actually on your audience too, though, because for example, I, I have been coaching a very big producer in rap and he has a lot of anxiety and he also um, can't, he can't stand being around weed. Like it, like it triggers him. It, the smell of it makes him have anxiety. Yeah. And 
we we've been working on stuff and he's in the rooms with the biggest rappers in the world and i he and i both know if he really expresses what's happening with him they might likely not work with him because a lot of the guys he's talking to and dealing with don't understand this and it'll just be like he's he's drama he's too much trouble and so there's two things right there's one what we're doing right now and you know, times a million, which is just keep trying to change the, the public conversation so that what you just mentioned becomes like, no problem. Like if you walk in and you're like, I'm super sick today, I have a cold. And so I just feel like kind of shitty. They'll be like, no problem, man. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, but if you're like, oh, I'm having a really bad mental health day, they're like, oh, you know, so A, we got to keep working at that. Yeah, 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 and definitely. That's why it's so important also within different worlds. I, I, I'm talking about rap music right now, but we could be talking about corporate finance world where they might have the same exact reaction as what this producer feels the rapper might have, which is like, oh, you know, he can't level up with us. So one, it's changing the conversation in lots of cultures, subcultures, genres, industries, careers. But then more importantly for now is someone else, someone's own inner, you know, um, I, I have a lot of people around me who they don't, they're not even the type of people who would just sort of tell everyone how it's going for them just by their nature of who they are, but they tell the right people and they have the right trusted friends and they do the right tools. And they, as long as it's just not being unattended and it's like, and they're like ready to go like a volcano, you know, it's, you know, it's so tricky though, because you just don't know who you're navigating. One group in session might be cool. Another group might be like, you know, not yeah. get it. So that's the scary. By the way, it's, and it's okay, like learning to accept other people not wanting to deal with that at the moment. You know, that's the other thing. Like I, I know when I went through this like serious like family illness, I sort, of, I sort of disappeared from the scene for like a year. And when, you know, there have been like, there've been big artists, like huge artists who reached out like, hey, I'd love to, how you doing? I'd love to blah, blah, blah. People have had hits with. And then I'd be like, yeah, I really, at the moment, you know, I can't because this, this, and this is happening. And then it would be like crickets, <laughs> you know, and they just don't want to deal. And I learned though, That's who you it's know. okay. It's okay. Maybe they're, they they yeah. don't want to maybe engage in that, you know, and that's okay, you know. I think that's having boundaries, which is so cool, which what you're talking about, Jenna, is a boundary, which is I'm not going to hide how I'm feeling. Um, and, and you're talking about boundaries of like, well, okay, maybe I don't work with people who don't get it. You know, another person I coach who's also a prominent artist um, is struggling with addiction and all these people want to work with them who have, are in full addiction, you know? And, you know, what do I do for my career? I should work with these people, you know, and, and just getting into someone's gut and what's going to be best for their actual mental health and recovery and not relapsing okay, well, have a boundary. Like, don't work with people who are addicts. Like, yeah. it might feel hard and scary to turn one down, but then the door opens to someone else who isn't, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's really scary to do. Boundaries are the scariest thing in the world. And then once you do them a couple times, you start getting like this muscle. Like, it's like the, the boundary muscle starts to get there. And pretty soon you're like, I have, I have coached people I coach who come back like, you just seen me. I put down like three boundaries this week. Like you would have been so proud of me, you know? And then next week they're like, I'm like boundary everything, you know? And pretty soon they're like extremely boundaried in a good way, meaning they're protective of their world and their, you know, whereas when we first started coaching, 
they would have to give like a really basic boundary that to me felt like, why didn't you say that in the first place? And for them, it was like, I'm panicky. I'm about to send this text, putting a boundary down. My heart's beating. I'm sweating. I feel like, like it's scary. And I'm like, just send it, send it. They do it. Okay. They realize the world didn't fall apart. Okay. Yeah. People it again. is hard. That, I, that was one of my things as well, that my whole world was also wrapped around people pleasing and nothing else. Like there was no, what do I like? Am I enjoying this? It was all, I was so afraid because I was, I felt the position I was in was so fragile. I felt, you know, like I was so unworthy of this position and, and the luck that I had that I have to please everybody around me, you know? And again, right. it tied to my mother, like my self-worth was tied to like what other people were. You know, my mom would like, instead of doing something for me or my sister, bless her heart, she would always just do something for someone not prioritize like other people in the Indian community. We always felt like, oh, okay. So I was raised like that. So instead of prioritizing, I realized I was doing the same thing my, my mom was doing to my yeah. kids. I was prioritizing everybody else, but, but my children and my wife. You know, I would drop, if I would promise my kids something, I would, I would break the promise to help someone with something, even though it had nothing to do with me, because that's how I felt my, I felt, my self-worth was tied to that rather than my own children's life. And it was, it was really weird until I realized, oh, that's what I felt with my mom. That's what, that's what my mom did to me. Sure, you were thinking about it. An imposter syndrome is a huge thing. Like I, you know, yeah. even some of the most successful people in their industries that I know, they have imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like, it seems like a, a human thing, like, you know. Yeah, it's hard. You, I'm not good enough to be that. here. They're gonna realize I'm not really that good or I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah, I mean that I stopped doing. I mean, Jenna probably knows. I stopped doing sessions. Like I, I barely ever. I stuck to my few core people, and I, I rarely ever did sessions because I felt like yeah, the more success I got, I couldn't. What if I don't deliver today? Like oh yeah, you know, all the pressure is on me. Not thinking that oh, there's other really talented people in the room, but like it was. It felt like you know they're going to see through this. So if I don't have like the best course in the world, I should just cancel oh. the session. And then eventually oh I just stopped doing stuff. I just said no to a lot of stuff because, or I would avoid stuff and avoid people. And I kind of just stayed in the tiny little world when I was in LA because I was so afraid to go in other rooms with people and do random co-writes, especially because I was like, if I don't deliver, they're going to be like, oh, okay, he wasn't the guy. A hundred percent. I feel like that's such a real thing. Like it's uh, like, I constantly feel that to the point where like, I'm such a people pleaser, you know that too, we talk about this. Like, I always think that I have to be like extra nice, extra this to every, even if I feel like the session's not going well, I'm so afraid to be like, okay, this is not working today. Then I'll just stick it out. And just because I feel like, oh my God, I can't have them hate me when I leave. Even though I know that in, in like, I know it's not realistic. Every session doesn't have to be amazing. But I personally feel like I have to push through and be like the one that's like bouncing off the walls and like, oh my God, it's so great. We're having the best time. And I'm like, it's draining. It's so draining just to walk out to know that if they if they were thinking you weren't the one that wrote that, like you're trying to deflect that from happening. You're like, okay, cool. At least if they don't think that I'm the one that did it, they're going to walk out being like, oh, I liked working with them. Great energy. I want to do it again. Do you know what I mean? So I just like, I never feel comfortable with knowing that I'm leaving for them to go and call someone and be like, oh, she sucks and she's and she sucks as a person. Like I, I feel like I have to like make it have something that will, you know, be be like 
I can leave and feel better. I can sleep at night knowing that they don't hate me or something. You know what I mean? I'm just so afraid of confrontation, I think. And that's just a real thing. Well, and you said something interesting, Jenna, because a lot of people who will say to me, you know, um, I hate confrontation. Like they'll be telling me about a situation, right? Where they just needed to say what they wanted to say, which is like, I, oh, sorry, I'm not available. I don't, you know, for whatever reason. And they're like, yeah, but I hate confrontation. I said, what, why would you even consider that confrontation? You know, like, like confrontation is like, a, you know, you have to sit someone down and have like a really intense talk and maybe they're going to respond really badly. And it's funny how we have to undo what we just simply saying, you know, uh, for example, there's a couple of artists I've worked with for a long time who are very well known and they're boundaried and they don't do things they don't want to do. And they're very protective of like, they don't engage in a lot of the stuff that the music industry puts at them yeah. because they're trying to protect their ego and their life. Yeah. And, and I think it's why they keep being such good creators is because they, they haven't like fully put themselves into the thing that can like kind of ruin your psyche and your ego and, and then make you stop being good because you're so worried about being good. You know, like it's, a, it's why so many people's first albums are like the best ever. And then the pressure's on and the, they start sometimes, you know, it, it can be hard to deliver after, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm very private about people I work with and stuff, but I will mention the people where I'm giving props to them for that. People like J. Cole in The Weeknd, to me are the kind of people who are, just don't buy in to all the validation bullshit. And that's why I think they're, they keep making good stuff because they don't really fall into it. They're more protected. I mean, J. Cole will like, you know, used to tell me to talk about like, you know, he just makes dinner with his wife and plays basketball with people and reads books by Eckhart Tolle. And it's not doing like all the stuff that you usually do when you're an artist where you're running yourself ragged. And I think that's why he's like nourished and fulfilled and happy. And he keeps making great music that's authentic because he hasn't like thrown himself into the like music industry river to be washed down. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good point. I mean, we used my sort of whole Swedish crew and who are all my really dear friends and you know mentors and collaborators for a while, like for a lot of us we kind of especially the last eight years kind of stuck to that sort of philosophy to just sort of stay not do a lot of the whole LA thing for me it was sort of being like a, a, a drug addict in Amsterdam because as a person as a people pleaser who wants to take care of everyone I was in this environment where like ooh, I can feel needed here if he's not in a good session I'll get him a good session and I'll blah 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 and everyone's gonna need me and I, it's gonna make me feel so good about myself and I found that I kept just doing all these things. And like, and then I, was, then I found I had resentment because I felt like I wasn't getting praise for it. My ego was like, and, and I was like, but I never asked for praise for it. They never asked me to do these things. I just did them. And so of course they're gonna be like, okay, he's doing that. That's great. What a nice thing for him to do. You know what I mean? Um, is that why all the Swedes are like, cause it's like, is it genetic? Or is it because you guys, like the Swedish uh, producers are all just like tucked away because like everyone knows that if you want the best songs made, you have like Swedish producers do it. Yeah, I think it's like, yeah, it's a focus. You don't fall for like the American bullshit kind of of the hype and all that. You really, it's really you about- You guys all make the hits. Like, well, it's really, I mean, it's really about like, yeah, focusing on the, on making the best thing 
you can and not listening to the outside stuff as much as, as you know um i i'm weird i'm sort of in the middle because i'm american but i my adult life most of my adult life is spent in sweden being mentored and my best friends are swedish so so like i have a little bit of i was maybe the one that sometimes would get pulled the other way um but like yeah it's it's a very American thing that like American LA sessions where everyone's like, this is a smash and blah, blah, blah. We, we don't do that. You know, we kind of just try and make it great and be like, here it is. I hope you like it. <laughs> you know, um, and, and I think that sort of, that's been, that's been an advantage, you know. Do you think that, um, I just wanted to ask you, Catherine too, like, I, I often think that anxiety also plays a part of, making good art like because I think that your anxiety in my I don't always think so but I do think that like being on the edge sometimes and having those feelings sometimes bring really amazing things out of me so I always think not to say that like hey I want to keep my anxiety so I can write good songs but do you ever think that that's or is that just something your mind tells you is happening and it's just you would write it anyway I'm that's, a, that's a good question. And here, here's my answer to it, you know, and everyone would have a different answer. But in my 30 years of watching creators closely um, and people being afraid to deal with their mental health because they're going to be afraid they're going to lose their like magic and like what they write about or do, um, it's, it's, it's bullshit. Like it, it's, it's, it doesn't work that way. Yes, your emotions you know, make you write incredible lyrics and have like passion. But I have to say, I know so many musicians who have worked through all their pain and anxiety and depression and addiction. And I know a lot of, a lot of very big, you know, there's a lot of very big artists out there that are in recovery, you know, that often don't even talk about it, but, and they make incredible music and it, it's totally emotional and it's, to, you know, so, um, I think it depends though, like, cause this whole sex, drugs and rock and roll of it all is like when people are in deep pain and there's a lot of angst and like emotion coming out. Yeah, it's like impactful art. Like Kurt Cobain is a perfect example of that. You know, with, I was literally just thinking that like, as you were talking, I was thinking And we're that. all like so moved by it, right? Um, right. You know, uh, being an artist is like one of the bravest things any human can do. And I, I really feel that I've always, my partners, everyone around me and in my family, even our artists and creators and have chosen the path. And it's a really hard path. It's one of the hardest paths you can take. And when people, I could see people rolling their eyes on this one, like, oh, poor rock stars or whatever. But guess what? Most people aren't rock stars. Most people who are on that path are like trying to just live their lives being creators you know, and, and, and it's, it's extremely hard and there's so much extra anxiety that comes with it. So I do think that creators ha tend to have, in my opinion, more anxiety and depression popping up than maybe the, you know, maybe if they had chosen a different path, but then they would feel like they weren't living an authentic life maybe. So then that would create its own anxiety and depression. So, but it's definitely, I feel like, can be a, a pretty high pressure, emotionally speaking, path. I mean, that's that's um, that's really crazy because that's something that I struggle with a lot because I always think like, is it's almost like you're afraid to completely heal when you're an artist because you're like, oh, 
are, is my magic going to go away? Like I actually um, talked about this on another episode with Rabel um, and about addiction. And it was exactly that. He was explaining that he felt like, oh, if I stop drinking or doing drugs, am I still going to write good songs? And he's like, oh, since I've been sober, I've written the best songs of my life. Right. But I think for me, like, even if it's not addiction or, you know, drugs or alcohol, it can be just whatever you, you go through and you get so used to writing like that, you think that that's maybe your tool, you know? So it's kind of, even for me, like, I guess it's confusing. It's like, it's, it's debilitating and it, it's awful. It's like the worst feeling, but sometimes you're like, Oh, well, I'm an artist. Maybe that's my, that's my job. You know, maybe I'm the vessel. Like I'm supposed to go through this. And it causes you to go find a new tool. For example, alcohol, let's just use alcohol. Alcohol lowers your inhibitions, right? And, you know, there's a really great Danish movie called Another Round. I don't know if you've seen it, but it posits the idea that some psychologist was talking about that if you drink 0.5% alcohol, like your alcohol level, you hit this like very euphoric, like you feel like you're your authentic self. And that's why people, and maybe people get that after like what, like one and a half glasses of wine, like right around almost two people are like, I'm looser, I'm funnier, I'm saying great thing you know like there's this place and it's the inhibitions go away and the fears and the stuff and then you just start being you know what's really in you and then as you drink a little more you pass that point and then you start going into other parts right so when people it's it makes sense why a lot of people use drugs and alcohol to write because in a bit it just it all gets to pour out so when you take drugs and alcohol away you know, you have to add something new in. Like if you're in your house and you take away the kitchen counter, well, you're gonna have to put something else there because you gotta make your food on it. So maybe you construct something different and then that's your new plan. You know, like you have to find what allows you to still tap into emotion because the reason the alcohol was used was to, to tap into something, to tap into some flow state that you can't normally get on your own. So when you remove that substance, or you remove pain and, you know, through therapy and stuff, you, you find different ways to kind of access your flow state, your feelings. That's really interesting. I mean, is there, are there specific tools you feel have been useful to artists that you've worked with like that? Or is it just sort of specific to each person? Like, is it like as simple as like, hey, I like this coffee and I like holding it. Is this my new thing? Like, is that what you mean? It's specific to each person, but... I will say, like, there's a really uh, a prominent musician that I know that um, was actually diagnosed as schizophrenic, um, used to be a heroin addict and like lost his whole life and everything that was happening in it. And then was working at a pizza shop and got rediscovered and has gone on to have like a massive music career. And, you know, he and I talk all the time and, you know, for him, it was similar to me, which is like, do yoga or exercise go to therapy. Um, he chose to use plant medicine, which I think is tricky if you have any um, mood disorders. You know, I don't know that someone who is schizophrenic should try ayahuasca. That's probably risky. He chose to do it and it's been working for him. Um, meditation, like religiously. Meditation is one of the biggest ones. I challenge people all the time. I'm like, I know you don't want to do any of the stuff I'm telling you, especially like some of the people I'm, you know, sort of putting this stuff to. This is like crazy talk. Like all of this is very foreign, you know, to some of the guys that I deal with. And just like, just learn to meditate and do it for one month and just tell me how it went. Do it for a week and tell me if this week went better than last week. 
you know, and I have, I have found that people who actually do meditate, I've never had someone be like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work if you don't do it. But if you actually are doing it, I don't know how it wouldn't create some benefit or buffer. So some people, I think I give a certain things where I think it works for everybody. And then some people, like one person, I might be like, I think you should try plant medicine. Another person, I might be like, I don't think that would be good for you based on your mental health or you have addiction or, you know, whatever. So, but there, there are some basics. The basics to me are therapy and meditation and exercise. Those are the three that I think like across the board, everyone. By the way, there's probably a reason why like everyone in the public eye that, you, you know, and I know you know, very, very successful executives or CEOs of big companies and stuff like that, after they get successful and they go through the imposter syndrome and then they go through a depression and they get help, they all religiously meditate and exercise, <laughs> you know, with the ones that feel like, oh, they seem so centered now. Like, yeah, that's probably, that's because they're, like what you're saying, they're. Yeah, and it, it keeps you going. Like, you know, I have, so I, I own this company and, you know, I'm super busy with that in my like, daytime and then I am a coach and I have a full practice of people in that and I'm a single mom to two kids and I just wrote a book and I'm in recovery coaching you know because I'm trying to certify as a recovery coach um, I do relationship coaching which I love you know and I also try to have like a light like I really like to spend time with my kids I'm growing a garden I like to hang with my you know there's a lot of shit on my plate right and when I was younger I used to have panic attacks and I used to do drugs and drink all the time. Um, I dealt with love, sex and love addiction. I was like a mess, you know, from all the stuff that happened to me when I was young. And I was like, I went from all that to now at 51, you know, I feel like I'm in the most sort of happiness, joy and success that I've ever been in. But if I didn't have my routine of like, I have to go to sleep by this time. This is what time I wake up. Like this is, you know, I, I have like this bag of oils. I, I put them on three times a day, all day. You know, like they actually really help me. They're not like to smell good, they're actual medicine. Um, you know, I do the medit I do meditation, I go to therapy and I'm doing EMDR therapy right now to do, to really do a deep dive on trauma. You know, I go to shaman, I say that, you know, basically I just throw everything at it but I have a routine that I do in the morning and at night. Like at night, I don't look at my phone at the last thing I do. I have to be reading a written page before I fall asleep. So all these little things are why I'm like, okay, I can juggle all this stuff. Weeks where I stop all that because I'm like stressed with work or something and there's no exercising, no meditation, no drinking water, forgetting to do the oils. I'm just doing none of it. I'm like in anxiety. Like I can feel my chest beating my stomach is racing. I'm being like shitty around, you know, to people around me. So it's really about the routine. Do you feel like, um, like this is genuinely, okay. Do you feel genuinely happier than ever? Cause I have a question as you were talking about this, I'm just saying relating to my life. I don't know. I might want to ask stop in this after too. I feel like there, a part of me sometimes is so addicted to that super high. You know what I mean? Like the high that almost feels like it doesn't mean you're on anything. You're just it's the highest form of high, all the serotonin levels, everything, excitement because of our business, right? To me, that's what I relate to happiness. So like, I would think that if you go and do everything that you just said to balance your life and all these things, do you miss that? Or did you ever expect Because like, to me, like, 
that is what I sort of equate with happiness. I know right. that's not true, but well, I'm, I, think, I'm just... I think everybody's happiness changes throughout their life. Um, I think okay. you're talking about almost like an adrenalized happiness. Like I remember being like on the stage at Coachella, watching my husband play to like 200,000 people. And like, you know, I was like, this is the best moment of my life. And how could it be better? You know? And, and then the next day I was like super hungover and could hardly like walk. And you yes. know, like, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I've been there. I've had a very active kind of endorphin-y life. But I yeah. will say what I mean by happiness is, is actual joy. And I think there's a difference. Happiness to me is like okay. a momentary, like, wow, that was so fun. We were that was so, I was so happy when we did that. Joy is this feeling of like contentment, you know, and maybe like someone at 26 oh, wow. and a lady at 51 have a different idea of what joy is. Yeah. But for example, I feel peace and happiness yet I don't like I'm going to a trauma therapist because I want to dig deeper. So obviously everything's not awesome or I wouldn't need to do that. Or, you know, my, my mom died this year and I'm an only child of a single mother, you know, that was fucking huge. So how am I reporting that I'm so happy and joyful? It's because my mind's my mindset and what I consider happiness and joy has shifted and it used to be a lot of younger people and it's, it's, it's normal, like age and wisdom, you know, kind of, you know, that's part of the trajectory, you know, if, if like my son, if he's not doing anything and he has no friends to play with and there's nothing, he's like, I'm bored. Today sucks. Yeah. 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 That's right. You know? Like, like that's it's all I mean. awful, you know, so it's not that. just my son who does that. That's good to know. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's what I mean. You know, because he needs all this stimuli and you know, this stuff. Whereas I'm like, oh my God, I did nothing. Nobody talked to me today. It's super nice breeze out the sun. Like I'm like, what joy, how could it be better? You know, like, so it's perspective and it changes as you get older and and, and also, but doesn't have to be an older thing. Cause my 17 year old who's very much of my mindset, I feel like he's been around the block a bunch of times in different lives or something. I don't know, but he's, he's like me where he's like, you know, he'll take all his friends to like, you know, what's that Tyler, the creator festival that all the kids want to go to? I'm so blanking right now. Uh, my kid got, you know, tickets to Camp Flogna. Oh, you know, no. And they were like, let's go backstage. We got backstage. And he goes, like, no, 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 we can't do that. Like, that's not cool. You don't go backstage unless you're with somebody. There's all these people around. He was like, mom, I want to come home. Like, I hate this. I'd rather just be at home, like making music, you know, like everybody's different. Yeah. And you know, you have to look at, but I do think that when joy is always adrenalized, like something great has to be happening or I have to have a connection with someone, that's great, but it, it can also make you look a little inward, like, can I feel that way by myself? Like, do I have to always have connection with other people or people telling me I'm awesome to feel like high? I used to get high from people telling me I was great. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly, that's it. Like, yeah, that's I used to get that Jenna like what, what you're saying like I was addicted to that with like songs on the having my songs all over the radio all the time I was addicted right. if there was a car ride where I didn't hear my song on the radio I would get I would it would affect my mood the rest of the day honestly it would be even if it was like dropping the kids to school if it, if it was just like a three like a 10 minute car ride if I didn't hear one of my songs I would I would scan the station I would go between like Kiss FM and 97 I mean, that's where it got 
because I needed, because yeah. I got so twisted my, you know, self-worth and achievement. Like I felt like a shitty person if I didn't hear my song on the radio. Right. And when I went through the, you know, the worst of the depression, I started therapy, I actually stopped listening to the radio because I wanted to, I started listening to podcasts and stuff instead of the radio because I didn't want to feel bad if I didn't hear my song on the radio anymore. Well, and what you were doing- oh, and I didn't want to feel good either. I didn't want that to affect my mood, you know? And it took me like a year and a half. And now, I mean, I, you know, I hear my songs all the time in the shopping center or radio now, but like, it doesn't affect my mood. That was like my goal. Like, how do I make, how do I distance myself from this thing? Um, you know, I'm Hindu, so it's, it's detachment is, is, you know, and then you were talking a little bit, you know, that in the beginning, like detachment is, it was, has become a big thing for me. Like to make sure it doesn't affect my, it wasn't just so I don't get, I don't get in a bad mood. And I hear my songs also so I don't, so it doesn't change my mood. So it doesn't make me feel better because it shouldn't make me feel better about myself, whether my songs, I hear my song on the radio or not, you know? Um, well, attachment and expectation are the downfall of all of us. Attachment and expectation are, you know, the tethers of ego. And it's just, you know, and so you not listening to the radio anymore is smart. That's a boundary. That's like, I know what triggers me right now. So for right now, I need to not do that. Same thing with the biggest, most triggering thing in our entire society that is like, literally, in my opinion, the downfall of our society is social media. <laughs> it's like, you can go on there and you can share amazing art and music. You can start, so, you know, political movements. Like I'm on it, you know, it helps me to get business, you know, but it also, if you scroll it too long, you can really feel bad about yourself and think everyone's doing better than you. And, you know, it's just such, you know, the compare and despair is so big and it, and then that links to expectations. Yeah. Well, if I were doing this, I should be getting this because I didn't get this, my attachment to that. Now I'm upset that, you know, it's this vicious. Exactly. 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 So, so Savin, how do you like, what do you do then? Like now that you don't, obviously, you know, you, you listen to podcasts, you don't listen to radio and stuff, but how do you feel like any sense of what I was saying in terms of like that feeling, the euphoric feeling of like, you know what it is. It's like to have that thing. Yeah, like, no, how, I, I, part of me sometimes misses it, but then I feel what I'm proud of myself about is I used to get that high just creating and being creative. Right. Rather than the success of whatever I created. You know what I mean? Because that got messed up throughout the years. It used to be, you know, like some of my good, very successful friends I, I admire so much because they've been able to keep that. Like, you know, some of my mentor, my very famous Swedish songwriter, producer mentor, He's so great at that. He still feels like a kid every time he walks into the studio. And I lost that. I used to feel that in just the act of creating. And then it became, I only felt that if what we created became successful. And now I'm finding it again in the act of just creating, you know, and it's in, you know, developing films or I find it, it sounds so cliche, but I find it in my children. Like I find, I found, I've fallen so in love with my boys. Oh. You know, like today, um, my wife got a text message from one of the moms of the school um, because and she said, I just want to say, you know, we're really grateful to your son because my son got in an argument with another boy and, and he asked him if he was okay and really made sure he was okay. And I started crying because I was like, that gave me that high though. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. um, That's really cool. And, and, and I'm, 
and it took a lot of work and it took a lot of like therapy and stuff like that to get to a point where like the achievement stuff isn't what gives me that high, that life gives me that high, that things in my life, the people I love give me that high, that I, I can do something regardless of whether it's successful or not, that there's something that I enjoy gives me that high. Um, and it took a lot of time, work because that's how I started creating in the first place. You know, that's who I was, you know, um, you know, and, and I lost that along the way. And I've, I'm finding it again, which is which has been great. I mean, do you and I just actually have another question, but like in terms of like the full amount of success, do you feel like like obviously it's kind of a weird question just because it's like Sovin's obviously had immense success and in like, but I feel like if you have crazy, if you don't like genuinely love yourself, right? What people say, right? Or you have experienced these, these things and you don't like nip them in the butt and you don't deal with it. Do you feel like you're hindering your success? Like, do you think for you, Sovin, like you could even have more or you still could if you like are healthier, like have a healthier mind? Or do you think that that's just for your own self? Like, do you think that healing it is just better because that's better as a person or do you think it affects your success as well? That's, like what's your- I mean, again, it, it goes to defining what your success is, but say yeah. we're talking about monetary success. Or yeah, exactly. I think about that all the time. Like, you know, a lot of people see the light after they get successful and they realize that nothing's changed inside and they have to yeah. fix it. That thing they were chasing because they thought it would fix what, what they were feeling inside. And, and maybe that's that drive is what gets you successful in, that's what in I, sort of yeah. monetary terms. And I, and I think about that all the time. And, and Catherine, I'd love to hear what you think about that. Like to be Walt Disney, to be yeah. uh, all these people, they were one laser focused, ruthless. And, they, and, and the world needs those people. But then when they get there and they realize, oh, I'm really unhappy still, they fix right. it. Yeah, would you have gotten this? Would I have gotten this success if I wasn't so sort of insecure and chasing this thing and and needing this validation? Probably not. See, well, that's exactly. Yeah. But maybe it's going to help me maintain it if I decide to go back in. You know. Well, some of the most important people in our world that have created the most important things, whether it's like a Steve Jobs or a, you know, a, a political leader, or you know, it, it could go from like Winston Churchill to Martin Luther King to Steve Jobs to Kanye West to, to you know like you know, people who have done big, giant thing. Elon Musk, you know, when you often read the biographies of these people or you hear from them, um, there's a lot of struggle. <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, a, a peace and joy wasn't their trajectory. And that's okay because their trajectory was to change the world or- yeah. to, And I, well, I think about that as a parent though as well, because none of those people's children really probably thought they were like great parents. <laughs> you know, because to do those things that pe- those people did, you also couldn't be present. On, well, I mean, time, sacrifice. And time again, here, absolutely. Time and time again, you hear from the children of really powerful people that they had a horrible experience with their parent, and and that's collateral damage. You you have, yeah. You have and is it worth it? I mean, that that's the thing, right? Is it? I think I me and my wife have that discussion all the time. You know, I, like you know, she's she was Swedish, so she has a whole another set of values than I do. She's Swedish, so she doesn't believe that happiness is a monetary gain. She's never that's not the culture here. You know, everyone's okay here anyway, no matter what. So, what's the point of chasing money or success? You know, um, well, and that's and, the balance part, right? Like they don't yeah. think they can have balance. Like. 
my thing is if you went back to some of those super driven people, like, could you have still built an empire, but just had a little more balance? Like I work with a manager and I always will mention people I work with when it's something good. Obviously I'm not going to share like personal bad things about people. Um, I work with a manager, Sal Slivey, who manages the weekend and everyone else in the world that's happening right now. And I was over there yesterday and I love him. He's like my family. And, you know, like he is grinding like anyone's grinding like he is a, a game changer he is a maverick he is like fully one of these people that's out there like making shit happen and extremely driven working all the time he's got two or three phones like he is that but he also is like you know eating with this family all the time the kids have like toys in his office he's got a drawer that you know for you know treats like they're they're always is a family together and around, they go on vacation, say that like, to me, that is balance. That is someone who is grinding and changing the game, but also really, you know, uh, P and coach from quality control do the same thing, like very attentive parents, you know, and I'm, I'm not giving away anything secret here. Cause you know, you can go on social media and see people doing their thing, but I really applaud um, leaders who are changing the game and grinding in whatever industry they're in. And they take the time to spend, you know, they have family meal every night. Like they have their kids, they take their kids, they go on vacations. Cause a lot of big executives actually just forgo all that. Yeah. Yeah. They show that you can change things and have balance. Yeah. That sounds a beautiful person. I mean, he's just the best. I think it's also part of his culture as well, though, as well. I think that helps as well because i found the artists yes. that are the most balanced are the ones that are like the big major artists i've worked with in my career that are the most balanced for the most part are the ones that aren't american that come from a culture oh yeah well that come from a culture where balance is just part of life you know what i mean um it's yeah so there, i guess there, there is definitely a way to do it i just we were just raised maybe in a way that didn't make that an option yeah, it's all about balance. Yeah. Hannah, do well, you wanna... this has been incredible. Um, we do have to wrap shortly, but we had one question from our viewers. Do you feel that having a normal life is better than being famous? I mean, you guys can go first. <laughs> it's a very crazy question. Yeah. Love that question though. Um, I don't know. I guess it depends what your goals are. I would say yes, personally, but... Yeah. Maybe I'm sort of jaded because I've been watching famous people for so long. Um, that you know, there's so much nuance to that question, but I, I a lot of famous folks that I have encountered, and many of them I don't work with, but I just have been in their ether. Um, I don't know that their happiness. So it depends. In the question where you say better, better meaning happier. Because I kind of think sometimes like normal people can have a lot more happiness than a famous folk. But then I know famous people who like have tons of, yeah, they're rich, they're happy, they got good, you know, like it's, I, I think it's, it depends on what you're doing with it. It's almost like you can't answer that question because if you're The Weeknd or J. Cole or, you know, someone um, who is, is having a balanced life and protecting their psyche and ego, then yeah, I think they're killing it. Like they're famous. I think actually being famous is not 
a really this 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 could be a whole hour zoom right now <laughs> like being famous is what people always want in the beginning but once yeah. they are famous most people unless they're really caught in issues it becomes really challenging like you know you can't just go do stuff you have stalkers you have fear like that like there's a lot of famous stuff that makes it pretty crappy actually yeah no, there's the fear there's a lot of scary stuff i mean i've been a part of like building one of the biggest sort of boy bands ever from the very beginning and i remember just seeing how that worked when they started getting like insanely famous and i mean i think you would probably agree right there's very few people that are famous that i know that are happy because they're famous Right, and then you don't know if people are hanging out with you because they actually like yes. you. You don't know if like women or men want to date you because of it's, it becomes so, like I worked, I worked with Daft Punk for many, many years and um, you know, I'm very close in with that world and them. And I always felt like they kind of had the best career ever <laughs> because they were anonymous. They were famous, but they, the humans were not. And they would pick their kids up from school every day and nobody knew who they were. We sat outside when we were in New York for the BMAs at a restaurant on the street all night and not one person came up to us, you know, and if the, and they were like the ones that won six Grammys that year and they were the ones, right? Like if I had been sitting out there with like Abel, we wouldn't, we just simply wouldn't have been able to do it. Like it would have been ridiculous. So I think the, the being recognizably famous thing is pretty rough. Yeah, limited. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just watching from the sidelines. I personally don't know. But they all tell me, oh, I wanted so bad to be famous. And now it's like, I, I, at the end of the day, I think it's good if people are like, I want to create art that the most people can hear it because I actually want to like touch people and like yeah. love be moved by it because you know music is therapy we all have it you know how many exactly. times you turn a song on and you start crying or you feel amped up or you know it's it's a magical thing but the fame part I think always kind of bites people once they get it yeah. well even on a smaller scale not even like that famous but just in a way that like in our world like me and Sovin is like songwriters or you know behind the scene people even when you get like what Sovin said, like with him, like millions, so many hits, millions. I love it. But you know, just like having all these, it's just like artists start, people, you start to think like that's part of probably the identity thing for you, Sovin, too, is because at some point you're like, oh shit, like if I stop doing this, is are my, am I going to lose my friends? Because I know that like I've definitely experienced that, especially in the beginning of my career when I was signed um, and I came from really like, you know, I didn't, the city I came from in Canada was like not. A music play I just was so green right so like I thought everyone just naturally liked me I was like oh yeah I have all these friends it's great when I got dropped it's like every like 90% of the people lost my number you know so it's just it's such a like um, a jarring thing as a kid too you know because you're just you think that especially when you don't come from it you think oh they're really my friends like you believe it you're almost like so that can be on such a larger scale really hurtful because you think you have all these friends but they really don't care about you so in that sense, I think, is, is, is it better to be normal than famous? It's like, I think you can live a more peaceful life and, and have more trust as a normal person versus the business that we're in, I think. Because I just think it's hard to trust people's intention. The more success you have, period. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But you can also understand people's interests at the same time, you know? You know? Like I, I know as a dad, like going to like school things and you talk to the other dads, they're all in like 
finance or have office jobs and you're coming yeah let's, let's nominate for an oscar this year you know what i mean like it's different like <laughs> that's what I mean. the entertainment business excites people so you can un i've learned as well to like understand like yeah you it is going to be it's what we do for a living it's going to be interesting so like, even, a lot of people, people just like, like if i was them and i met i'm like that with actors or, or you know someone's an actor I'm like wow that's amazing <laughs> like i'm gonna give them more time <laughs> yeah exactly. well i think too that even people who work peripherally, like I've had people, like I had a, a mom from school ask me if I wanted to go for a walk one time. And I was like, oh, she's, that's cool. I like this, you know? And then when we got on the walk, she pitched me the whole time. And I, oh, her, see, and I was like, I thought you asked me to go on a walk because you thought I seemed cool or, you know, <laughs> and, and she's always still pitching me. And I, you know, and I, I blocked it off. And it's funny because I live up like, in the middle of nowhere like i have like mountains all around me and i all my best friends here it's funny even when they ask like they don't even really understand what i do like they always call me a publisher i'm like no publicist like oh. <laughs> I love I, that. you know like they're just so out of my realm you know and i also hang out with the industry people too but like i i just i don't hang out with anyone that doesn't want to hang out with me for who i am and i'm not famous but just even being connected to famous people can make people try to be around you. And so yeah. when, to answer the person's question, the more we've talked about it, my answer is, you know, do you feel that having a normal life is better than being famous? There's no way to answer that, but I will say the famous people that I know who are really enjoying their success <laughs> and their life are doing it because they are doing a lot of effort to live a normal life if that makes sense. My, my folks who were like really caught up in the, you know, the super jet set validation, everybody, me, me, me world, I think are actually not happy. And the ones that are really successful, but they're trying to live a normal life. Like, hey, um, you know, after this Rolling Stone cover interview, I'm gonna go get my kids a bath kind of dads or moms, or, you know, I think those people probably are a lot happier so just basically always trying to have balance and be normal is no I, mean, I actually really think that's a great i think that's an amazing answer i think in it and if you put an effort into your mental health um you know you find the tools you find the things that work for you you make you know you make baby steps i think that's a really amazing answer for anybody right i think that's in whatever you may do whether you're in the industry or anything else that you do i think that's um super valuable so yeah well, thank you guys so much for this. This has been, um, thank you. I really feel like we could have just talked the whole thing because <laughs> I wish that's the, all I had to do today. It was just, I could sit and talk with you guys. That would be great. I know it's, but you know, I thank you Sabin, for being so honest. This, I think this is really important for people to hear. So I really appreciate you guys spending your time and yeah, Sabin, your, your, your vulnerability and wisdom and all of it was really cool to hear. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, have a great day. And I'll let you know. I'll probably post this in the next couple of weeks. So I'll let you know. I'll send you everything. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.